So today we're talking about stories. And each of you has a story. I want to say welcome. I see a lot of new faces here today. I want to say welcome. I believe that your story, there is a reason Christ brought you here today. Somebody else may have brought you here today, but I believe Christ brought you here through them. And so I want you to hear the story. Let's start with just a, a visual reminder of what we're talking about. Let's focus on the screens. It's Adam and Eve's story. We were hiding in the garden, making excuses for our sin unable to cover up our shame. Our story is Jonah's story. We were running from God, denying our calling, surrounded by a raging sea. Our story is a prodigal son story. We were wasting our blessings, lost in our failures, too afraid to return home. Our story is Peter's story. We were unbelieving, full of fear and doubt, our faith slowly sinking beneath the waves. But that is not the end of our story. We are all longing to be restored. We want to stop running. We want to be found. We want to believe, and we are crying out for a Savior. So God stepped in, into a broken world, into human form, into our very lives. God stepped into our mess, into our sin, into our failure, our fear, our doubt. He stepped into death, and the door shut behind him. And then he arose and left it all in the grave. He wiped clean our story and started writing a new one. One without shame, without fear, without death. A story full of love and forgiveness. A story of redemption and restoration. It's our life story. It's his story. It's a resurrection story. So I don't know if that's how you perceived why you're here. That truly what we're looking at is a story. There's no way to get around it. How many of you have been hearing this story for at least a decade? Raise your hand. And so sometimes when we hear the same old story, it gets a little bit hard to digest. But, you know, here's the fascinating thing. I don't know how many of us have ever known that in this story, you are written in the pages. 
You are written in the pages. So let me ask you, what makes a good story? All right, this is completely subjective. What makes a good story? Well, some of us like fiction. Some of us like biographies. Some of us like a, a lot of those different things. Some of us love action, right? How many of you action people out there? All right, this is kind of fun. How many of you people are Westerns, right? You can go see the good, the bad, and the ugly at the Century 16 um, and hear that wail. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. I'll move on. Uh, romantic stories, all right. Uh, if there's a guy in the room that raises his hand that likes this, we'll have counseling afterwards. All right, romantic stories. Uh, how many of you like adventure stories, right? Uh, you know, that's your favorite thing is the Indiana Jones ride at Disneyland, too. Um, thrillers. How many of you are thriller people, right? Yeah, I, I kind of like thrillers as well. So, you know, some of the great stories throughout history, To Kill a Mockingbird, um, we've seen, or maybe we've read War and Peace by Leo Tolstoy, or maybe that great work of our time, yes, Batman versus Superman. Now, I'll just tell you, what's interesting about a story is that it's always subjective. And it's interesting, I've actually seen this movie already, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And I already see some scoffers, Paula, in the room. <laughs> but all the critics are panning this and saying it's horrible. So I listen to the critics. Here's the fascinating thing. How many of you love to go to a movie that's a suspense movie or a thriller movie, like a whodunit, right? And you know, you love, you pride yourself in figuring out what's going to happen before it happens. See, that's how this movie is written. So I loved it. You have to think. You have to think, and you're not used to doing that with these superhero movies. So, you know, some of you don't, don't really like superhero movies. Some of you are wearing capes underneath your shirt as we speak. And again, you'll enter into the counseling room later. But So, when we talk about who loves a good story, you know, I, I love fiction. When I was a kid, I think the first book I read that I can remember along this line was called The Other Side of the Mountain. And it's about this kid that runs away from home in New York, and he goes and he lives in the Catskill Mountains. And he trains a hawk to, you know, hunt for him and all this stuff. And he lives in a treehouse. And I thought, man, that's so cool. And so I packed up a backpack one day, and I had this plan. And we lived in Santa Maria, so my goal was to get up above Lake, Lake uh, uh, Shumash or Kachuma, and I was going to live in the hills above Santa Barbara. And I was going to live off the land. And so I got as far as like four blocks. And uh, I, I went into this housing project that was being built. And I kind of shimmied up into this house that was not yet done. And that was where I was going to hold up for the first night. Beautiful plan. I'm on the road. I'm going. And then I start thinking about the story. And it turns out this kid, because I was getting hungry. You see what's happening here? The kid, I reviewed over my notes as a fourth grader. And the kid lived off fish. I hate fish. I promptly packed up my bag and went home, where I had a nice Swanson Hungry Man dinner. It was a good choice. Uh, some of you like factual. Some of you like biographies. Uh, one of the, the, the most recent biography I've read was a biography on Dietrich Bonhoeffer by um, Eric Metaxas. Just an incredible story. Looking at what happened during World War II through the eyes of one who suffered through that as a representative of Christ. Some of you love bedtime stories. How many of you love bedtime stories? Anybody? Yeah, kids, come on. Bedtime stories, kids? 
When we moved here, I started doing a bedtime story with my girls. Gentry, what was that story called? The Sam story. So Gentry would be in her bed, Jericho would be in her bed, and poor dad got the floor. And so I would lay on the floor, and we just made up this story nonstop. It was as crazy as possible. And the fun part about it was there were no boundaries. But I got so elongated with the story that I'd start confusing the names and the facts, and the girls would start yelling, you don't know what you're talking about. Tyrone's a butterfly, and, you know, all this stuff. So the Sam story is like 18 epics. It's a tome. It's a magnum opus. And my kids love that story. But today, we're here to celebrate the world's greatest story. We're here to celebrate the resurrection story. Now, here's the fascinating thing about this story. All those components that I listed on the screen earlier are in this story. It's a story of corruption. It's a story that's sinister. It has sinister plans. It's a story of betrayal, of sacrifice, of swords, of miracles, of brutal death, of a mysterious resurrection, and of world-changing events. This morning, let's start off with the idea of fiction. That maybe this morning, how you view the resurrection story is fictional. Well, what's the value of that? I think a lot of what we find in fictional stories is inspiration, and that's why we love it. We can identify with different characters in the story. So let's just look at it from a fictional standpoint, shall we? So it starts out as a story of hope. Why? Why is it a story of hope? John eleven twenty five through 26 says this. Now let me give you some understanding real quickly. What is this? Because, Pastor Jeremy, this isn't part of Jesus raising from the dead, but it is. You see, good friends of his, Lazarus, Martha, Mary. Lazarus was the brother of Martha, Mary, and he died. And Jesus chose not to arrive beforehand to heal him. He allowed Lazarus to die and be dead for at least one day. And everybody was upset. But when Jesus got there, he said, this is for a reason. And really, truly, it was foreshadowing what Jesus was about to do. And so Martha's upset. She's crying. She's wailing. You can almost see her beating on his chest. If you had just been here. And this is where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Maybe today, in a fictional sense, you identify on that level. That Jesus is saying this to you and me today as well. He is the resurrection and life. And we are all destined to die, but through Christ we can be given eternal life. And the same question comes to you and me from the story, do you believe this? Let's move to another idea of fiction. It's a story of second chances. But before I leave that, the story of hope, Romans 5.8 is also a great section to look at. It says, but God shows His love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Talk about inspirational. That someone would reach out and give their life for their enemy is one of the greatest proclamations of love that you'll ever see. Next. So maybe under the idea of fiction, it's a story of second chances. The disciples failed Jesus in His death but they're revitalized and they're galvanized by His resurrection. So some of you are very familiar with the passage out of John, John 18, where it speaks to the idea that 
Peter denied Christ three times. Let me read this for you. It says, Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. Now, Jesus has been arrested. And the Jews have brought them into the the chambers of the high priest where they're going to hold a fake trial. Peter and John follow and go into the inner courtyard knowing that Jesus is in some serious trouble. And what happens? Verse 17, The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing warming themselves. Peter also stood with them, standing and warming himself. And then we go down to the end of this section. It says, When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I say is wrong, bear witness about what is wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? And then there's the response, and here we come back to Peter. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and once, at once a rooster crowed. Jesus' main disciple failed in the midst of this because of fear. Can you identify with that part of the story? I struggle all the time with choices because of fear. And so we see the reality of Peter in this moment. So is that where the story ends for him? Well, John 21, 19 shows a very different picture after the resurrection. Jesus comes to Peter and the disciples And he isolates Peter and he has a conversation with Peter where three times he turns to Peter and he says, Do you love me, Peter? And Peter responds back, You know I do. The third time he says it, it says Peter became sad. Why? Because he knew exactly what Jesus was referencing. The three times that he denied Christ. You see, because of the resurrection, Peter's faith was reestablished That even though he had failed here, that Christ represents forgiveness. That sin is beaten. It's over. It's done with. He is victorious. And he loves you so deeply that whatever is happening, he will stay with you. He will invest with you. And he will stay with his calling. And it inspires. It gives hope. Jesus is a God of second chances in this story. And so he turns to Peter the third time. He says it. And and Jesus says to Peter, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Well, maybe it's a story of brutality. The religious leaders demanding murder, brutal murder. And John 19, 15 through 16 gives us a little taste of this. Again, we're kind of meandering through the story. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus. You know, this was a religious group driven by such power and hate that they were willing to name Caesar their only king. This was an anathema for a Jew. This was blasphemous for a Jew. But their hatred was so deep for Christ 
And that's why I say this is a story of brutality. Because for these guys, it was all about power and Jesus was a threat to their power. Jesus was a threat to their pride. Kind of a deeper part of the story maybe we didn't really catch yet. Can we relate to this with our government? Can we relate to this with maybe some of our religious leaders that have blown it because of their pride? Well, maybe it's a story of mystery. The body is missing. How many of you love to play Clue? Nobody does anymore. There's just too many good advanced games to be playing Clue. But the body is missing. Where is it? It's the all-time whodunit. The Jewish leaders started to circulate a story that the disciples stole the body. They're not that organized. They're not that smart. We see scripture after scripture that says they were hiding. They had hidden themselves away because they were fearing of the Jews. But the body is missing. There's a sense of urgency in this story. Shock, surprise, despair. And the disciples failed to realize that Jesus had fulfilled exactly what he said he would. He beat death to rise from the grave. John 20, 8-10 speaks of it. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in. And he saw, and what? Believed. For as yet they did not understand the Scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their home. So it's a story of mystery. So maybe for some of us we can only identify with fiction, but I encourage you, I implore you, think about it in context to, do you identify with any of that? Now, What if all of that was real? So let's come at it from a clinical mind. Let's say we're a journalist and we work for a fine establishment like the New York Times or the Huffington Post or Fox News. Hopefully I covered everything possible. What if it was fact? You know, in order to be fact, you've got to look at the history. You've got to look at the archaeology. You've got to look at eyewitnesses. Here's the amazing thing. We have all of that. But I doubt anybody has shared that with you, if you're new to this story. Here's some interesting facts that, that, they're just facts, right? What is the most widely accepted fact about Jesus? The crucifixion of Jesus is the most widely accepted fact about him. Jesus' execution is attested to in extra-biblical sources that contain information independent of the New Testament documents. These include citations from Josephus, Lucian of Samosota, Tacitus, and the Babylonian Talmud. Now let me explain what I just told you. None of those are biblical references. These are histories written by Roman historians or Babylonian historians. If I were to ask you how, you, how your, let's say this, how your uh, wife or husband voted in the last election, could you tell me? And could you tell me based off of the fact that you saw their polling sheet or their voting record or is it simply that they told you how they voted now when they told you how they voted did you have any reason to doubt them if you do you're in the counseling room after service as well no you you believed in it because they what they told you this is how i voted was that good enough for you you see scripture tells us in first corinthians 15 and i'm going to turn there and read this for you because when we're talking about facts You need to know, you need to understand. I'm going to go to the next screen and let you look at this while I'm turning. This is so desperately important. If we're going to say that fiction is actually fact, then we have to understand and we have to hold to this idea that we have to prove it. We have to prove it. And there are several ways that we prove things. We do it through history. 
We do it through eyewitnesses. We do it through archaeology. All of those evidences are there. The picture that you see up on the left part of the screen is a bust of Tacitus, the Roman historian. Real guy, real history. And you see the part that's underlined there that speaks to his account of Jesus Christ being crucified under Pilate, the governor's watch. This is in a Roman history. All right? You see all this information about the Star of Bethlehem, archaeology, manuscripts, non-Christian texts. We already told you about that. Four, four Gospels. But the Apostle Paul, I think, is probably most compelling in this area. And 1 Corinthians 15 speaks to it. He says this in verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance to the Scriptures, that He was buried and that He raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Okay, we've gotten that part of the story already. Now listen to this. Then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep, which means they've passed, they've died. Then he appeared to James, then to all of the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. How many witnesses would you need to convince you that someone was real? And not just real, but that they saw this individual after they had been crucified, after they had been killed. My friends, there is more factual evidence to the extent that Christ was seen after His death than what we would be willing to convict a person on to the death chamber. But you don't normally hear that. By the way, Paul wrote this, right? So Paul has motivation. He could just write whatever he wants. Well, actually, no, that doesn't really work. Because by Paul adopting this, Paul had been persecuting the church, killing off the church. If he's going to have this experience with Christ and Christ reveals Himself to him, Again, post-resurrection, Paul stands to lose everything, and he did. Paul stands to have his life put in jeopardy. He did. Someone who stands to gain or profit by starting a rumor doesn't do so at the risk of their own life. That just doesn't make any sense. So all the accusations that Paul wrote something to his own advantage and to his own um, desires, it, it doesn't work. The evidence is overwhelming. It is factual. So let's look at this last point, and this is going to take us into the finish today. Fact, a story of Thomas the skeptic. So maybe you are a skeptic today. Maybe that is your story. You find this hard to believe, and Jesus understands you. That's part of how you are written into this story. So you may start and you say, okay, it's a good story, and there's a lot in there, and and there's some inspiration. You may say, well, I actually think that there is enough evidence that It stands to reason Jesus had to rise from the dead. Now what do you do with that? Well, maybe you're still not there. Maybe you're still skeptical because you don't have that advantage of having a one-on-one with Christ. You see, it says this. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord, but he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, what? I will never, what? believe many of us today that may be where we're at we may have this heart of the skeptic jesus has to show up i have to be able to put my finger there you know here's the fascinating thing jesus was listening jesus was listening and if you 
keep going in this story. You see this verse 27 through 28. Eight days later, Jesus shows up again. Same room, same bat channel, same bat time. Right? And listen to what happens. He turns to Thomas and he says, Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Today, as part of this story, for your story, you may be saying, I just need to see Him. He hears you. He understands. But that brings us to our last point. We move from fiction to fact. Now we move from fact to faith. What do I base that in? Right here. Will you rise like Jesus? Because what does Jesus say? It's a mystery because I can't back it up. Well, let me just read it out of John 20. Jesus says something incredible here. And it's the culminating thought for us. How are you and I in this story? Bet you never knew you were. I bet you never knew in this moment where he has this encounter with Thomas, he's thinking of every single one of you and you have been included in this moment. You can turn to people and say, I'm in the Bible. He says this. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? What's the answer to that? Yes. Yes. Thomas the skeptic finally believed because he saw him. Jesus heard him. Now listen to what Jesus says. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You see, this story, our story, starts out in fiction for all of us. But we can also move into fact, and I would dare say that there are many who would say factually Jesus existed. And maybe they take the big, big jump and say factually, yes, I believe Jesus rose from the dead. But yet, they still haven't taken that final step of faith, of belief. And maybe that's you today. You see, Jesus, in this moment, was thinking of you. And the question is, do you believe? Do you believe? Will you rise like Jesus? There's only one way. It's not because you think it's a good story. It's not because you believe the facts. There is one way that you experience that resurrection in Jesus Christ. There is one way you experience the power over sin and death, and that is through faith. This morning, my question to you is this. Are you interested in the first part of the story? I think so. I think that's why you're here. Have you gone from fiction to fact? I hope so. I hope we laid out a pretty good evidence that Jesus was historical. But not just historical, that that there were so many eyewitnesses that saw Him after His death. And because of the result of the church and the proliferation of the Gospel, it just points to the power of the resurrection. But thirdly, Have you made that step of faith to truly believe so that in your life you experience Jesus Christ? We're going to close this morning 
with just a time of encouragement, we're going to sing a song. It's a favorite song of mine called I Will Rise. And as we do so, my encouragement, I'm going to pray right now as the band comes up to close. I'm going to encourage each of you to contemplate where are you? You see, Thomas had one chance right there to respond. We don't know how many opportunities we will ever receive to respond. But today, you heard Paul's testimony over here, sitting on the tall stool. You heard his testimony about how his life has changed because he took that last step of faith. There are many in this room who have taken that last step of faith and they've seen their lives change. Jesus speaks when He walks in the room over and over of peace. Are you hungry for that peace? Are you hungry for the ability to thrive in the midst of difficulty and challenge? And more so, even more so, are you ready to know that for eternity you can be in heaven? That is the ultimate goal. And that's why Jesus died on the cross. was so that death and sin had no power And that we are granted with the beautiful opportunity for heaven for eternity. During the song, I'm going to come up and I'm going to give you a challenge. Let me pray for you right now. And I want you to contemplate during this prayer. And I want you to contemplate and listen. Because for some of you in this room, God may be speaking to you. He may be coming to you saying, do you believe? And giving you an opportunity right now to say, yes. I don't fully understand it, but yes, I want that. Be listening over the next few minutes. See if there isn't the sense of the Spirit pulling at your heart. And then I'll give us some instruction. Let me pray. Father, this is an incredible story. It is a powerful story, but it is a personal story. And it's one that gives us cause to to bear down and to think and to contemplate how do we fit in this story? Lord, I believe that there are those in this room right now that are ready to be part of this story. You have drawn them here. They have now heard the important parts The fact that Your Son came, died on the cross to pay that penalty for sin, and that He has power over sin and death. And if He has power over sin and death, He has power over all things. And so our ability to partake in that and have relationship with Jesus Christ and have eternal life, all of that, Lord, You say, is predicated off of faith. Blessed are those who believe who do not see. Speak to our hearts.